Welcome back to another episode of Money Talks. My name is Hugh Meyer. We are delivering actionable advice to you, the small business owner and entrepreneur. Super excited to have our guest today, Devin Miller. Devin is the CEO of Secure Financial. Secure is the first emergency built savings app for employer employees across the country. In this episode, we discuss the genesis of Secure, Devin's background, his thoughts on the world of fintech, and how Secure is going to help bring employers emergency savings plans. We hope you enjoy this episode. Devin, thank you uh, for taking time today. Super excited to learn about you know your background and what yeah. you're doing up in in the in Seattle with Secure. Why don't you uh, give our viewers a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so myself, I'm a Seattle native. Been in financial technology for about 15 years, building uh, uh, different startups uh, in the payments and. Um, personal finance and tax and lending spaces and whatnot. And uh, about uh, almost a year ago, uh, once COVID hit, my business partner, Bassam Salib and I uh, really felt passionate about the idea of trying to help address emergency savings. We felt that unfortunately COVID was going to create um, an opportunity uh, to work with consumers and employers to solve that problem. And so we've uh, raised some early venture capital money and actually as of this week are live with our first employers. Uh, and employees to to bring that emergency saving solutions to market. Uh, that's great news. Yes, I was super excited to connect with you a, a few months back. You know, it's been one of the kind of key messages I've been help trying to help deliver through my guests is you know being better prepared. You know, for for unfortunately, you know, any unforeseen things that may come about. You know, that's why I, I started the podcast was bringing yeah. out resources like yourself. And when I saw, you know, the description of what you guys are doing, I thought this is you know tremendous. You know, we're doing this series on the podcast on fintech and how that really can help small business owners and entrepreneurs. So again, yeah. thank you for being here. And yeah, of course. Uh, Really excited to learn some more. Maybe talk a little bit about prior to starting, you know, Secure, yeah. uh, go go talk a little bit about your background and kind of how you built up to uh, where you are now. Yeah. So I guess funny starting point, my uh, my background is actually in building race cars. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm a big car nerd um, and uh, went to a, a school called Western Washington University and they had a program called the Vehicle Research Institute which basically gave undergraduates free reign um, to build all sorts of cars. So we built alternative fuel cars. This is in the late nineties um, and uh, building, you know, um, electric vehicles, building um, really high end um, custom uh, race cars is uh, part of a collegiate design series. And um, one thing, a few things I learned from that is learn how to build stuff, learn how to, uh, you know, it's kind of a startup in of itself, learned how to build fairly audacious things um, and, uh, and to do it very hands-on and very scrappy. And uh, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. My parents owned, you know, kind of part of our main source of income was my parents' small business. And uh, I had a small business when I was in college and high school. And so when I got out of college uh, and my wife and I, you know, immediately got married, we knew we wanted to be entrepreneurs. Um, and, um, you know, this was right after the dot-com bubble burst. And so it wasn't as cool then to like do startups and whatnot because nobody <laughs> wanted to touch it in that 2003 area. But uh, we started a company soon thereafter in the financial services area. My wife had been a financial advisor and, um, you know, she, she's probably the better entrepreneur than I am, I always joke. She's like, you know, I just really don't personally, she felt that she wasn't adding value as a financial advisor. There's so many people that really were great and other people she knew that were fantastic at it. She said, I don't really know what I'm doing in that space. And so what she did was she started a company 
providing back office services to financial advisory firms to help their clients with day-to-day financial management. And so what she found was that the area that no financial advisor could spend time or energy on was helping with budgeting or bill pay or just basic stuff like that. And so she started a company with a friend and and I got involved uh, in kind of the mid-2000s and that's how I got into financial services. We quickly then got into fintech when we realized that we couldn't scale our business nationwide supporting all these RIA firms uh, and family offices um, without really adapting technology and, and what they were looking for just didn't exist on the market. And uh, so we started to build custom software and we did some custom work with Wells Fargo and others and uh, and uh, just kind of worked our way into it. And I think a lot of it went back to my experience building race cars of, you know, race cars are very complicated, scary things. And so you're just like, well, we'll figure it out. And payments is kind of the same thing. They're very complicated, scary things. And you just you just kind of figure it out. Um, and so that's how I got my start in, uh, into fintech. And before it was called fintech, like right, I was in right. fintech for five or six years before people gave it a name, uh, which has always been kind of fun. So. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed that story. Thank you for that, because you you were at the, I guess, call it the birth of the genesis of what the space was. You realized you were fusing financial services with technology, and yeah. only over the last decade or so, as you've got this kind of hot name fintech, and now, as I'm sure you're aware, you know the money continues yeah. to really flood that space. There's a lot of amazing innovation that's gone on, in you know over the last. But the amazing thing is, it's been going on for for as you know, time, than I, yeah. for a long time. But yeah. it's almost now being brought to light, and 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 I'm sure you'd. We would agree a lot of that probably having to do with COVID. Now, a lot of this this great innovation that I'm learning about, and thank you for being here, is was really accelerated by yeah. the events of last year. Yeah, just as a stat I saw last night um, was Chime, who I'm sure you're well familiar with. You know the kind of the neo bank. They have I think like six million consumers on their their product, and um, there's a stat that showed that not just for them, but last year. Millennials, I think specifically, I may be butchering the stat, but like 4% of millennials said they used a neobank. Now it's 15%. So just in 12 months, like, I mean, so I think to your point, the pandemic created such an inflection point that put so many people in in a situation to change their patterns and their behavior and to look at new solutions or be forced to do different things. And um, with so many branches closed and and different things that, you know, um, I think the kind of the slow... There's a great quote that I like, and I don't know who to attribute it to, but, you know, things happen uh, gradually and then suddenly. Right. <laughs> so I think, you know, retail banking is an example of that. For a lot of people, they've been kind of gradually declining. And then with the pandemic, suddenly really changed. And I think you see that in some of the stats with fintech. Yeah, no question. No question. You know, again, thank you for your being here to spend the time with us to talk about that, because it's it's a really important point that, you know, f- this as this acceler- the acceleration of fintech couldn't have been better time because as we know from last yeah. year, so many small business owners, entrepreneurs, just you know, it, at worst maybe lost their businesses, yeah. were in a really terrible state, and it didn't help when the government was trying to come and you know bring out the stimulus that we we're you know they did last spring and then now I've done again. The efficiency of getting those funds to the businesses that need it, as we've seen, has not yeah. been the best. But if you look on, you know, fintech versus maybe old line institutions, you can see that the fintech institutions that have sprouted up have yeah. done a really amazing job helping the people that need it. 
Yeah, it just is a story around that. And again, this somewhat um, not perfectly attributed or partially anecdotal maybe, but I recall a story of Wells Fargo with the PPP loans really struggled to, to get into that game. And they, they struggled technologically and to get tools and they tried to like overdo it, so to speak, with technology. And it, they kind of fell on their face because that's just not who they are. Where people like Fundera or... Um, uh, uh, cabbage uh, had yeah. massive success in kind of taking their teams and shifting them to building the tools and supporting those clients. And they ran through a ton of volume on those on PPP loans. And so when, when individual business owners needed support, it wasn't the wells of the world or others that, you know, were really there to be able to do it. It was, you know, a lot of these, uh, the fintechs and the startups that were able to just be more nimble and move into right. those areas. But the other thing, they're also more focused, right? Like Fundera and cabbage, that's all they do is small business loans or, you know, larger banks or in many, many bit different business lines. And so it's, it's hard to really be amazing in those specific areas. And it's easier for the fintechs to accomplish that. And with so much rapid change and how quickly things happened um, in 2020 and still are, you know, I think it just leaves fintechs that are focused, that are nimble um, and are used to moving at that breakneck speed uh, in a position to outperform the market uh, incumbents. And so, again, you're kind of seeing that that gradual thing that had been going on is now a sudden increase in in um, in uh, opportunity for those players. Yeah, no question. You, it's that it's that old. It's the hockey stick, right? We yeah. like, to your to your great piece of data you just gave us to that four percent number ramping to fifteen yeah. percent. It. I don't think people could really quantify how substantial that change is, but clearly yeah. the changes here and, it, and it's happening for the better. I mean, there, there's no question that the you know the names that you're coming up that you were you know the Funderas, these yeah. neo banks or challenger banks. Um, to your point, you know they're nimble and they're digitally native. They understand technology and they also, more importantly they are in tune with their customer and their client base. Yeah. Um, yeah. The personalization is kind of an interesting area to that point is just, you know, without stating it. Um, personalization is, is I think an area that you're going to see a lot of improvement on. Um, it sometimes goes hand in hand with automation. Right. Um, a lot of people try to drive automation and financial services, but a lot of it really comes down to good automation is also heavily involved with personalization, right? It's hard to personalize or automate something unless you really can understand what that individual person is trying to accomplish. And so, um, but a lot of the legacy platforms will struggle to do both automation and then personalization because it requires that you've got a really good handle on your data and an ability to kind of build and and iterate around that really quickly. And And the modern platform companies like a Chime have modern technology systems and approaches and people um, that are used to that stuff. And they're recruiting for places like Amazon or others that are really have great infrastructure and good ability to kind of understand their data. And um, and again, it's kind of an area that incumbents, they're operating on really old platforms with, with talent bases that generally are not used to those types of systems. And the bureaucracy around it is, is also kind of things that hamstrings them. So um, that's what a lot of people want. I mean, personalization, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's such an important piece today. Um, I mean, you go into Facebook and it's about as personalized as more personalized than people probably appreciate and want, uh, but that's what they're used to. So, right. Yeah. No, I, that, that, those are really important points that, that people should be aware of. Talk about how, so we, if we go back to, unfortunately we, we rewind the tape to last year and you're trying to really get secure going. Yeah. Talk, maybe talk a little bit about how you were managing kind of the situation of what was happening around you, but, kind of being able to move forward and 
keep, keep, keep you on your path. Yeah. I'm a big believer that, um, because I've lived through the, you know, I, I was running and building companies during 2008. Right. I'm a big believer that a great time to start a company is when things are terrible around you. <laughs> I, like when, um, and for a lot of different reasons, there's, there's a whole bunch of reasons why I think that's true. Not that you can't start great companies at other times, but you know, one was, is that, you know, my, uh, my business partner and I were just kind of this fortunate opportunity where we didn't have day jobs. We'd purposely left those to go start a new large scale company. And we were exploring some opportunities. And when March hit, we kind of just took an opportunity to step back and kind of take care of our own families and our own situations and whatnot. But, you know, we're in a privileged position where we measure our personal emergency savings in years, not months or weeks, uh, which is not what the vast, vast majority of Americans kind of are dealing with. But we both come from more meager backgrounds, you know, where we can appreciate, we have empathy for and had and still do for what the vast majority of Americans are, are struggling with. And um, we had done some stu- some research into emergency savings prior in some of my la- prior roles. And so I kind of knew the area, knew the stats. And, um, you know, we were able to look ahead where everybody else was trying to figure out, like, how do I get my team to work from home? Or right. is my portfolio of investment companies as a VC, like, who's going to die and who's not in the next 60 days. Um, and, um, and a lot of people then had companies that were kind of in this odd spot of like, they were up and running, but they didn't either have enough money they were trying to raise. And so everybody was basically just distracted as you can imagine. And uh, my partner and I were in this kind of strange spot where we weren't um, and we had nothing but time on our hands and uh, we're able to kind of look into the future and, and think, what do we think it will look like? And we weren't fully correct, but I definitely, in looking back, we, um, I think we benefit from a lot of prior experience and knowledge and just time to think and, and kind of study the situation. And uh, it's put us in a really great position now. But it was interesting, like reaching out to venture capital uh, investors, reaching out to people in the market and in the industry. You know, um, it, was, it was cool how many people were still trying to also look ahead, but knowing that they're just dealing with chaos around them and, and all sorts of new and strange situations and uncertainty. But how many people were still like, yeah, okay, the world's not ending. Um, right. Like we, we will move past this and what will that look like? And, you know, to find people that were willing to kind of just adapt and, and iterate and, and, and look forward was really cool. And uh, again, it put us in a great position where we could just focus, we could be nimble, we could kind of build with all the latest, greatest tools and people and, and resources. And uh, it put us in a spot where we made rapid progress. And, you know, as an example, we didn't form the company until September. And we went live with first customers and revenue in five months, but there's a fairly complicated product. And, um, and I don't think that that happens pre 2020. As an example, like we did our entire fundraising effort on Zoom. Um, wow. I haven't <laughs> generally left my house for work uh, in a year. <laughs> Um, and, uh, that's very different from how it was done in the past. And so I think, you know, even like talking to banks and partners is very different today. Um, you know, in the past, my partner and I have, we've worked with banks and we've worked with kind of closing big deals with partners like that. And it requires lots of face-to-face meetings, wearing suits and fancy conference rooms and flying around the country. And all of that is just done. Um, I remember we pitched a top, uh, it's a fortune 100 organization and probably a top 15 U.S. bank. We wow. pitched them over the summer and it was the C-level executive from this institution and a huge team. And they're all wearing like, you know, hoodies and baseball hats and sitting in their house like you and I are. And, 
it was just a, it was a surreal moment of like, well, this is going to be very different and it's going to go very fast. <laughs> and that's been very, very much true over the last number of months. You guys, you and your partner have done an amazing job in, in a very short period of time. And you've also, I, I can't, uh, we can't, under, we can't oversell or underestimate the, the significance of what you guys are doing for, for employees and employers, how important it is to have, we have a 401k and we have yeah. health insurance, but God forbid something else happens. Do you have that emergency savings? And you know, cause you've done all the research and here, here now, yeah. how significant what you got, your work is going to, the impact it's going to have going forward. Yeah. Just a couple of stats that are interesting. Um, you know, in the U.S., pre-COVID, financial matters was the number one source of stress for the vast for the majority of Americans. And um, and when you dig into that stat, the number one source of that stress is, is short-term savings. Right. And so, and then with COVID, you know, there's some stats, and I think it's a bit apples to orange comparison. You know, 90% of Americans were worried about their finances because of the pandemic. I mean, so everybody's stressed out. I mean, I've got friends and family and people I know that work at really great companies with really good jobs and good financial situations that when April was going on, especially they're like, what will happen if I get laid off or, or how will I react? And, and so it didn't really matter who you are. Um, and it's, it's so volatile. I mean, even last week with the whole GameStop fiasco, right. With uh, hedge funds, <laughs> like God forbid a hedge fund might go under and, and right. whatnot, but everybody is, you know, it's so volatile and so crazy right now. And that stress has a huge impact on people and employers. And um, it was somewhat kind of odd when we stepped back and like back in April and May and thought, if this is such a huge problem for individual Americans, that stress, and if that stress shows up at work, which there's many, many studies that show that stress shows up at work and that stress causes huge problems for employers that cost big money. It's kind of obvious, like why hasn't been solved um, and, uh, one of our investors, I thought put it best, really the best solution to that problem. And the research shows this, you just got to get money, liquid savings in the hands of the average Americans. If the average American had more liquid savings, so many problems would be better off. And so it's kind of obvious then if that's the solution, then just get more liquid savings in the hands of Americans. Right. And it's very akin to HSAs, health savings accounts, okay. yeah. where, you know, one of the problems for Americans 20 years ago, and it still has been is. Americans didn't have enough money to pay for out-of-pocket medical expenses. And it was this growing problem. And so, you know, we haven't solved it, but we did create a solution for it in the form of health savings accounts. And that's really the solutions with Secure around this idea of emergency savings accounts is if people are this stressed, if that stress is impacting employers. And if just the solution is just more liquid savings, then how do we make liquid savings, emergency savings, easier, more automatic, and more incentive um, with more incentives than exist today. And if you could do those things, then I, I think what we're going to see is a, a radical improvement in the ability for the average American to kind of get through these stats. And so that's really our mission at Secures to, to get that outcome to become true. Absolutely. Those are all great points. And I'm, I'm really looking, excited for you guys, looking forward to seeing your progress as, as the days and months and years, you know, come about. Talk us through like, you know, what your process is as far as you, you a company other context you you contact a company and clearly there's a need for your service maybe yeah. talk us through how that works yeah it's been an interesting journey because um what we find is is that um a very broad set of employers uh find what we're doing around emergency savings very appealing um 
a very broad set of employees as well. Um, in fact, let me start there. Basically, I think emergency savings is like budgeting. Everybody knows they should have it. Everybody knows it's important, but it takes independent action and decisions and and, and mental effort to do it. And Americans are very bad, generally people, but Americans are very bad at this, right? Um, and so with budgeting, tools like Mint and others and, and, and banks and, and, and even now employers are getting involved to make the process of doing you know, just kind of basic day-to-day financial management, easier and more automatic and uh, something that you can really kind of just check that off your task list and, and have and at least get to a better spot quickly. And so with Secure, that's kind of the same thing. And that's that's our message to employees. You know, you should do this and you know, you should have it. And they're like, yes, I agree. Well, we make it automatic and we give you a product that you can't get from your bank. It's purpose built for emergency savings. They're like, well, I love that. Uh, oh, it's free. Well, that's great. Um, oh, and by the way, when your employer gets involved, uh, involved, then this whole thing is basically automated for you. You don't even really have to do anything. And they're going to throw in some extra cash to really motivate right. and incentivize this. The statistics that we have done and that others have researched is basically 90% of Americans are like, I'm all in, if that's true. Um, and it really doesn't matter even the age range. You know, we can provide, we don't do it today, but we do plan on having some kind of form of interest rate or incentive on funds. We think we can outperform the average savings account. So it kind of starts to become a no-brainer, um, essentially. And um, so from the employee standpoint, it's a very easy thing. And that relates back to the employers. Employers like benefits that their employees like. And so if we can show up and say, look, I think I can get you 70 to 90% of, of your employees to adopt this product, would that be useful? It almost doesn't matter what the, the benefit is. Right. Um, they're going to they're gonna listen. But on the employer side, what we find is happens is, is that there's a few things. In very small companies, like even down to 10 or 20 employees, a lot of them don't have a 401k plan because right. as you know, you, they're expensive, they're complicated, uh, they create risk. Uh, and they definitely create a lot of work, usually in that size of company for the owner or their kind of right-hand person that does all the work in the company. And so a lot of employers don't have them. And so with Secure, we position ourselves as an alternative starting point. We don't want to replace the 401k, but we want to give those business owners at least something that they can choose to deploy because that's better than nothing um, to kind of get their employees and their business started with some savings program. So that's kind of one because we're a fraction of the cost, nowhere near the effort nowhere near the compliance and admin uh, challenges that a 401k brings. And so again, it gives them a good starting point for both them and their employees. We do really well with employers that of any size above that, that usually at least is a few years old, five years old or more, because typically by then they've kind of filled in the basics of a benefit program. They also have gone through a few cycles of benefits that the business owner and executives kind of start to figure out what works and what doesn't, and, and they know their staff. And then as long as that employee base is at least a third of them are younger and or kind of low to mid income. And it could be either or, uh, for example, you could have a lot of young people making 90 grand a year, but if they're all in Seattle and San Francisco, they don't feel like they're well off, right? <laughs> or if right. you've got a bunch of 50 year olds in Kentucky working at a factory making 25 bucks an hour, you know, um, they don't have a lot of disposable income either. And even though they're maybe older, they, they haven't built up the good financial habits that others would have had. And so we do really well with kind of companies that are at least a few years old that have at least kind of a third that fit that profile. And if a majority of them fit that profile, like this is a pretty much a no-brainer for them. And we had a company we're deploying with right now that does um, construction and, and uh, surveying work. And the quote from one of the main owners was like, there's really no reason not to do this. Right. Um, because from a retention or recruitment, 
impact on employees. And they're actually not going to invest net new dollars. They're just going to basically kind of divide up their long-term savings investments and kind of put a little percentage into short-term. And again, kind of like healthcare, it's not about trying to spend more on healthcare. It's about trying to maximize and diversify the investment and choice you give to employees. So for employers, it just if they fit that profile, a lot of them, it just clicks. And a lot of them have had kind of stories of like things of, hey, we have a lot of hardship withdrawals. We get a lot of 401k loans, or I've just got a lot of employees that we have a high turnover because they're telling us they're stressed over money. They just inherently, these employers know that we'll have a great fit for them. They love how potentially high uh, the attach rate can be. We're pretty low cost. And all of them are planning on doing a match, which is really amazing to us. That is. The employers we're working with. And so it shows how much they just get the ROI that this is worth doing. And then in the end, um, you know, we've built a product that is purposely separate apart from the 401k. So it's very easy. You can deploy it at any time. It functions, again, very similar to an HSA, um, but better than an HSA in the sense it's not integrated with anything complicated like health or 401k. And so, you know, it's a really simple solution that goes right to the heart of the problem. And the last thing I would say is that the pandemic, again, has created this awareness of the problem that I don't think quite existed as pronounced as before, where people are just like, you know, I just, I know that my employees are way more stressed out by this than they have been. And I'm much more acutely aware of it. And so they're actively trying to demonstrate to their employees that, hey, I'm listening. And this is part of our solution to what we're hearing from you. Thank you for that. That was an amazing rundown. Answered to ask, answered some of my questions that I was going to ask. So, as far as you know, the kind of you know companies that you're looking, you know, you're working yeah. with. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, amazing. Yes, very salient points. It's great to hear. You know the the feedback that you're getting, and not only how that that your product is is great, but that employ you know clients employers are really excited about it. They want to yeah. do it, and that that to me is is really important because that just shows how more you know these employers are in tune with what you know what's beneficial to all of us how yeah. can we help our employees and not have them in these very stressful positions that that they may have been in last march april may yeah. so yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, again, that, that was great to hear. So uh, thank, thank you for all that. Um, and also to another point, you know, that a lot of these potential, you know, clients and employers that you're going to meet, you know, had employees that if, if, if they had had a product like secure, yeah. wouldn't have been invading their retirement plans, which unfortunately Correct. took place last year and in many instances and had two issues. One, they were taking away from their retirement savings yeah. and then having to deploy that into some emergencies and that's and then that maybe they, the money wasn't put back and then as we've seen you know the markets have gone back up so it was a really an unfortunate situation yeah. on both ends where this is a great solution well the other thing i just to mention maybe we can close with this is um there's a lot of talk in dc right now around the stimulus and how much is the right money and who should get it and how you know everybody wants to go big but they you know they're worried about debt as is, is i think is reasonable to to do but in the end, a lot of where we've made progress in America over the last hundred years is through, uh, through, uh, and by that I mean specifically like to benefit individual peoples and, and families is is it honestly not always come via the government. In a lot of cases, the biggest progress has come through employers in creating new jobs, obviously, right. but also in creating new benefits and and um, 
And uh, through, you know, things like the 401k, things like the HSA, things like health benefits becoming set. Obviously, the, the government and, and different administrations have a role in kind of helping nudge and both prompt and create lower friction paths for employers to do that. But one thing I feel with all that said is that the employer does not seem to be uh, as heavy as a component of the solution discussion right now of how we help people recover, right? A lot of it comes back to, you know, kind of systemic changes or government sponsored changes or just stimulus push after stimulus push. And, and again, I think the things that are, are, you can only do so many $600 checks, right? right. Like at some point right. you've got to have a solution that has longevity to it. And I think in the end employers, the history shows that they are a big part of that type of solution that can have longevity, that can really kind of lift people up and improve that. I think there is a role from the government to play on, on all sides, but that'd be one thing I'd love to see kind of maybe change, uh, you know, in the dialogue that kind of is playing out in real time today. So, Agreed. Excellent point. But as we conclude here, perhaps just give us one last, if you've done so much today, really it was an amazing time that we spent and really enjoyed learning more about your team and secure, maybe leave with one piece of uh, actionable advice for entrepreneurs. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, the one thing I think is unfair for entrepreneurs, you can really only do one at a time. Um, and is versus like as a venture capital investor or just an investor, you can diversify, right? You can put right. money in lots of different ideas and see which one is, is good and then kind of really lean into that. And as an entrepreneur, you can really only do one thing at a time. And one thing I think I've learned to do well is to, to kind of play with different ideas and experiment and look into and research, but be, and be willing to talk about it. But one of the things that I think is most awkward and uncomfortable as an, as an entrepreneur is to start talking about your idea and then even more then when people ask about it, they're like, what happened to that idea? Oh, I, I'm not doing it anymore. It didn't work. It, like they're afraid of the signal of failure. Right. But in my mind, that's how you get through and find the winner is you got to be willing to like really try these things on and work on them and talk about them and, and put work and maybe even a little bit of money into them. But also do not be afraid to say, this isn't the one, this isn't what's worth me spending 60 hours a week for every week for the next five years on. Um, you really got to make sure that it's it's right for you and it's the right idea. So don't be afraid to work on them, talk about them, and then kill them <laughs> if it's not the winner. So I've definitely done a lot of that in my uh, entrepreneurial journey. So, Well, Devin, thank you so much. That was yeah. that was a great uh, conclusion to our episode today. It was, it was, like I said, wonderful to finally meet with you. Yeah, I like very excited, you. Very excited to uh, follow your, your progress and, you know, good luck to you this year and, and going forward. Cool. Thanks to you. Likewise to you. So um, hopefully we can talk again. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, remember, we'll be back with another episode of Money Talks next week. Uh, if you get a chance, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. I uh, hope you're doing well and we will be back next week. Take care.